This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. What if I gave you $750? What would you do with that? And what if that $750 also may come with a multiplier that you can 2x, 5x, 10x, maybe even 100x that investment? What I'm looking for right now is I have a small spot of coaching spots available, and I'm looking to offer you a $750 free intro call with me. You got to be willing to invest in yourself, but In this call, it's a free coaching call, 30 minutes, and what you can do is dive deep. We can discuss about you and your business and what it is that you want to go to, the dream life you want to create, and and the struggles and challenges that you're having, and then I can give you one or two tips that can help you move forward towards that, and also if I can help you, I'll share in ways I can do that also. If that's something that's interested in you and inspired you to want to do that, check out the show notes below or go visit callwithdrvic.com and set up an appointment today. Appreciate you. Now let's go ahead and let's get into the show. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Vic and you're listening to another episode here on The Mindful Experiment. Excited to have you here as each week we dive deep with someone to share their gifts, to help us level up, to see things in a different perspective, to help us really remember the greatness of who we really are. This week I was discussing and having a great convo with Elena Armijo, which 
we were diving into concepts of leadership. What is leadership? What are leadership traits? Are we all leaders? We dove into retention and culture. What culture really means and how to create culture for yourself, your company, your business, and so forth. And what are the things that companies were challenged with with COVID and how they had to change and shift gears and so much more. So we got into all these good things and how to really tap into also breaking through some of our older barriers as younger children and how that holds us back in some ways. Before I share the episode, I want to dive deep into who Elena really is. She is a professional certified coach, member of the International Coaching Federation, and certified Dare to Lead facilitator, has a strong track record of supporting clients and organizations in creating impact, culture shifts, and leadership development. Her unique ability to identify common patterns while generating new awareness and reinvention leaves clients with the ability to make stronger choices, clearer decisions, and powerful steps towards their desired outcomes. Elena offers in-depth and customized executive programs for high performers who are at the top of their respective fields, from CEOs of leading businesses to professional athletes, policy-focused individuals, entertainers, and artists, and more. Partnering with Elena, these clients have created and achieved the professional and personal impact in the world they once perceived unattainable. As a leader and trainer with accomplished coaching and chief core guide facilitator, Elena continues to expand her work with teams across the world. Sit back and relax. Enjoy this episode. Here is Elena Armijo. Elena, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Victor. I'm excited to be with you. I'm excited to be here. I love what you're up to. I love what you're doing. Can't wait to dive deep. Listeners, be ready. Sit down, relax, or just listen while you're driving or whatever it may be. Uh, But make sure you're listening in. This is going to be a good one. So Elena, my listeners know I like to get right into things. So what is, you know, how did you get into what you're doing? What's your story? What's the journey that got you to what you're doing today? Yeah, well, it's an interesting one. Um, It's not a likely story, but, uh, you know, I grew up in Las Cruces, New Mexico, which is on the border near El Paso, Texas. And I think that's an important part of my story because, you know, when I say that I was a professional opera singer for eight years and I came from Las Cruces, New Mexico, people are like, what? (laughs) How does that work? <laughs> um, you know, so I I had a beautiful family. Um, I'm a biracial woman that identifies as Latina, and multiculturalism was a huge part of how I grew up, where I grew up. Um, music was always part of my story. Um, and I always wanted to be a elementary school music teacher. And so my undergrad is in music education, and my master's is in performance. And the short version of this story is, you know, I always just kept saying yes to what people said I should do. And I was a good singer. And so people kept saying, you should sing, you should sing, you should, you know, you don't need to teach, you need to perform. And I just listened and kept following that path. And lo and behold, that had me, you know, living in New York in 2007 and starting the path of an opera singer. And so for uh, most of my twenties and my early thirties, I I was fortunate enough to see the world and travel the world singing on stages um, everywhere. And so, you know, living this great life where you're meeting all kinds of cool people and you're singing these incredible roles and it's a high pressure situation. And I was miserable and burned out at the same time, you know? And so from the perspective of the audience, I was killing it. You know, but when you when you got really quiet and listened in those lonely apartments after the shows, you know, I was a mess. I, you know, wasn't eating well. I think I was on my third failed relationship at that time. And 
just really lost uh, because I could see what the next 20 or 30 years was going to look like in a career uh, um, in the arts. And I, I didn't like it. And I had all this guilt compounded on it too, because, you know, I came from, I came from a small town. I had made it out by, by all means, my, my parents were super proud. And so it was a really uh, big moment to say, wow, I've built this whole thing. And I think I'm going to blow it up on purpose. <laughs> and, you know, all the guilt that comes with that was, was something I really had to deal with. So I came off the road and I hired a coach myself. Um, and I never intended to become a coach. Never, 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 like not even on my radar. In fact, I, uh, attended the coach training program, this year long, rigorous transformational program so that I could fix myself. <laughs> I had no, no intention. And, um, I still laugh at that because that's like the biggest joke of my life that, you know, I can think I can fix myself through rigor and drive and pushing. Um, so by month four, I fell in love with coaching as a profession and, um, I'd never encountered anything, even though I was always looking for it, that I loved as much as music. So I thought that was a huge sign that I should pay attention to. And that was uh, eight years ago when I started my coaching practice and became a full-time coach and haven't looked back since. It's awesome, isn't it? I, it's funny you're bringing that up because I just did this about two, three months. Well, I've been coaching entrepreneurs for about three years on and off because I had a practic chiropractic office. And yeah. then uh, finally it was my wife and I went on the move and we're like, all right, let's just let it all go. And I'll go coach, I'll go full into entrepreneurs and chiropractors and we'll take it from there and let it just, uh, let's, let's, let's see where that, that, that takes us. Cause that's where uh, one of my, I never thought I'd be, I, not that I never thought I'd be a coach, but I, I, I love the mindset of things and mm -hmm. helping people break through. And I did that with patients and I did that with a lot of other things. Uh, yeah. But it's kind of cool how it like picks you and chooses you in a certain way. Yeah, just like music. And I'm telling you, I still can't escape music, by the way, but now I do it for fun. And I really believe that when you're called to these things, they find you. So yes. um, yeah, very similar. And an opera singer. So you got to have some good lungs to get that voice. I, very, I, mean, I mean, I was going to say, because I, I remember one time going to church hearing an opera singer, she had no microphone and yep. she was blaring. And I'm like, how does she do that? I was like, I was only like 12, but I'm like, this is mind blowing to me. And of course I go home and try and I'm like, yeah, no, can't even get there. <laughs> it, it takes a lot of, a lot of patience and, and learning, but I, I really do believe everybody can make some of that sound. So <laughs> very, very cool. I love it. And what's the, what's one of the greatest things you love about coaching that it's always something, you know, for me, I always see like when you do something, there's the money's one thing, but there's a reward or something else we get. Uh, what is that for you? I love coaching because I get to see, I get to have a front seat to people's incredible lives. So working with a client, um, you know, my whole job is to partner with them to bring their brilliance out, their dreams, their intuition, their choices, and just being with them along a journey where they're building lives um, that are massive and choosing things that potentially they never thought they could do. There's nothing like it. I mean, it literally is like being on stage and singing with an orchestra. You fly with people. And, um, and it's the same feeling that I get when I coach my clients. Um, it's just really, it's really beautiful to watch other people succeed and, and love whatever it is they're doing. Love what a great answer. I love that so much. It's like, you're kind of living, like you're, you're kind of on the, you're on the sidelines, like a coach, right? 
and you're living you you like there's a percentage of you like you're like yes this is i, I hope that and it's a small percentage but it's like but it's just a little percentage and i'm really enjoying and i'm just it fires you up that's awesome yeah so real quick before we dive into some uh, some things I, I, you know you, you have something called the c-suite collective right or collection yeah. i think it is right collective uh, collective it is collective that's what i thought and so can you tell me a little bit about what that is for the listeners yeah. So this is a company I recently launched. We're in our first year. So we're only three months old. We're brand new uh, baby company. Um, and we launched it because basically what we were seeing in the world is we worked with coaches. It's a bunch of coaches. It's a boutique agency that has, you know, 16 coaches on the platform. And we also have practitioners that are of healing modalities. So what that means is we have, some, you know, a breath work specialist or a um, sleep consultant or an herbalist. And so we're really uh, trying to take this idea that if you look at the whole person and you're supporting a whole person within organizations and, and corporations, you will have uh, better results with inclusion, belonging, and culture. And so, um, you know, all these coaches that I'm really great friends with and, and really does feel like a true collective have their own rockin' businesses. They're all rock stars in their own rights. And we were singing, seeing, singing and singing. Haha, <laughs> that's funny. Um, <laughs> we were seeing in the world that, that clients um, were missing massive support from the inside out. And so that's our big mission is that we go in with companies and we say, hey, let's sit down and talk about what's really not working in your company or what the gap is and create a whole plan for the year. Instead of just one training or a couple of coaching sessions here and there, which is typically what a lot of our companies and clients were doing. So that it's really a, a structured plan so that you can turn around one year from today and say, wow, look what we did as a company with leaders. I love the long-term approach to that because I think it's very critical. Uh, a lot of times people sometimes want to just get a coach, get a couple of calls or, hey, I'm going to do three months with you. And I'm always like, that doesn't, that doesn't work. We're not going to solve anything in three months. And, you know, it's it, that, that long-term approach because there's so much internal work that you have to do to break through that. Yeah. I love that. How important, because you guys are leading the way. So how important is leadership to you? Oh my gosh. Leadership is everything. I would say leadership is the only reason I have the life I have. So when people talk to me about being a leader, um, sometimes people don't even know that they're leaders. And I, and I truly believe that everybody is the leader in their own right. So if you think you're not leading something in your life, take another look. Because whether you are a leader in a C-suite organization, um, if you're on a board, if you're a parent, if you are a animal mom or dad, like, you know, like you're leading something. I promise you, you are. So when we start to relate to ourselves as leaders, you start to have a conversation about how you can generate your life instead of react to it. So to me, leadership is everything. And you, the, the better, I don't want to say the better leaders we are, but the more that we are aware of who we are as leaders, the more we can create intentionally. I love that. And, and, and would you say like, you know, when we talk about everyone's a leader, is it also looking at it in the sense of like, we're all, we all influence in a way because leaders influence in some way, shape or form? Yeah, I think, you know, ultimately who you are for your life first will have impact on anyone else around you. So yeah, there's massive influence in, in who you're being and how you show up in the world because it has direct impact on anybody, whether it's your family or your friends or your colleagues or the people that, you know, you're leading in an organization. 
Love that. And when it comes to, you know, when we look at leadership in the, in the aspects of uh, the world today, what we live in today and so forth, um, you know, because when I look at leadership, I always tell people, you got to find a leader that, you know, that you, uh, that you look up to, that you, you appreciate. And sometimes if you like, if it was like me back in when I was 17, 18, 19, you said, Hey, you got to find a good leader. I'm like, I don't know where to look. I don't have, who's a good leader. I don't even know what a good leader looks like. And sometimes people will reference back to then they look at other aspects of things that are just, you know, with society or uh, so forth. Um, when you look at how, you know, when we look at that aspect of, um, I lost my, I lost my question here for a second. <laughs> but I wanted okay, to get ask, you know, but looking at like, how can someone like look and find, you know, or start to evolve their own leadership skills and, and really understand that they are a leader in some way, shape or form? Yeah. Yeah. Uh... It's a great frame that you're presenting because one of the things that I always um, say when I'm facilitating groups of people is look for the leaders. So even just like having that mindset of like, where are the leaders will open you up to start seeing things that you've never seen before. So that's the very first step I would say is start looking for leaders and, and then start identifying which ones resonate with you. Like, what do you like about their skills? Um, you know, there's there's been several in my past history that I really admire. Um, anybody from like Sarah Blakely to Michelle Obama to Barack Obama to, um, you know, and, and not to make it political, but right now watching everything happening in Ukraine and Russia with Zelensky, you know, there's there are some leadership traits there that I admire and that I, in my opinion, my personal opinion are are great. And, and what are these things? It's like, um, leaders eat last. That's one of my favorite quotes. So like, you know, do leaders, are leaders, um, leaving you behind or are they right with you every step of the way? Are they making sure their people are taken care of first? It doesn't mean that they don't take care of themselves first, but it does mean that you have your eye on, um, your people all the time. Um, I think leaders know their commitments inside and out. So do you know what you're committed to? And if you don't, what are some ways you can get clear about what that commitment is? Because as we know, we have feelings all day long that come and go. I mean, I don't know about you, but with, with me, I probably have over 285 feelings a day. And you know, if I was just to act on my feelings alone every day, that would not create um, my vision or my future. So I think leaders are very clear on what they're committed to as well. Um, those are just a couple of tips <laughs> that I would start looking for. And where would, you know, let's say like someone was in my shoes, right? How do you find, where do you find, or where do you find a, a leader? Where, where is it more of a feeling you get? Cause you were bringing that up a little bit and I just wanted to tap into that. Is it like a feeling that someone just goes, yes. Or is it like having a vision of your life and then seeing who fits that of what you're kind of seeing? I think it's the second first. I think you've got to have a clear vision of what you want and where you're going. And then the feeling will follow. Your intuition will start leading you towards those people, right? So um, yeah, you got to get really clear on what you want. And look, that's that's not easy. That's why you hire people like you and me, right? Coaches to help you flesh that out. Because I remember when people first asked me what I want, especially when I came off the opera stage, right? Like all I'd known for 25 years was opera. So when somebody said, what do you want to do in your life? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> That's such a big question. Why are you asking me that? 
you know, and there were a lot of limiting beliefs I had from growing up from my past, from my childhood, from trauma, you know, all the, all the things that you uncover as you get older as an adult that I really had to sift through. And I remember working with my coach and we had to start, this is how simple we had to start Victor to start looking at what you want. I had to go to the store and look at toothpaste. And I was like, toothpaste, what, why are we going to the store? And she's like, well, just look at the toothpaste and ask yourself, how do I buy toothpaste? Do I buy toothpaste? that's always on sale. Cause it's on sale. Do I just buy what I know? Because, you know, I had it in my household when I was a kid and that's what my mom said I should buy. Or have I actually really tried different types of toothpaste to really choose what I like from desire, from wanting, right. As opposed to, well, this works. And I'll tell you what, 90% of my life was running that way, where it was just what I thought I should do. And so the experiment of trying different toothpaste was actually really eye-opening to like who I am in the world as a leader and what I want and where have I shortchanged my own desires and wants. And so I think that's where you got to start. You know, I got to ask this question. What's your toothpaste that you chose? <laughs> I landed on Colgate. I know it seems really simple, but I really do love Colgate. <laughs> I just had to ask. You brought it up. I was like, that's a good one. I like it because you bring up a good point, right? It's a lot of times people are doing things either because it's just comfort, right? We've just done this all the time. This is what we're used to or whatever it may be. There's a lot of scenarios. I can go a lot of routes with that, but it's just understanding, wait a minute, I, what do I enjoy, right? Because a lot of times we ask that question, what do you want to do in your life? And I hate that damn question. It drives me nuts because I'm like, don't ask people that. Instead, ask them, what do you enjoy in life? What do you have fun with in life? What do you dream about? Like if we just turn that question around, you can see how the mind all of a sudden goes, I can go with that. That's easy. Hey, what do you want to do in your life? Uh, man, in which way? What are you talking about? You're talking about my whole life? That's a lot. Wow. And what happens is the brain shuts down when it ever gets overwhelmed. And so that's where just twisting that around. Very interesting. But I like that analogy, though. It's a great way to show people how we need to choose, right? Our, our yes. What we enjoy. What do we want to experience rather than uh being I, i'm right i'm coming out with a book soon and it's all about like the programming of the mind and how we get into the matrix decoding the matrix yeah. and it's all about this cultural and and just you know parental and, and ancestral programming that goes on that holds us in a box yes yeah and you really hit on that because i think the thing that i want to say to to have an addendum to this when we say like what do you what do you want to experience or what do you enjoy you know when we expand those questions out some people haven't even allowed themselves to ask those questions, you know, and that goes into, you know, were you safe enough? Were you privileged enough? Did you have room enough when you were growing up to do that? And that goes all back to what you're talking about, right? With ancestry and, and how we grow up. Yeah, so much. It's so deep rooted in that. Um, you're, you're telling you grew up in a multicultured uh, society, world? No. Um, environment I environment there you go. I was like that's not the words I'm looking for which one is it uh, yeah. and so you know how important to you is culture oh my gosh I think culture culture is important but it's it's so rich and it's so cool and if we can as people just sit and actually look at what that word means and what we want it to mean again from wants and desires um there's so much possibility there um I, I talk a lot in my keynotes and in my speeches and my podcast about the messy middle and being, being biracial, you know, on, on one hand, I belonged everywhere and I belonged to nowhere. 
at the same time, right? Like I am white passing, um, and yet I'm not ever accepted, you know, by my white side or I'm not accepted by the Latin side. So this is something that since I can remember was a conversation in my space, right? Uh, from elementary school moving forward. And the gifts of it that I've gotten out of it have been that there's gold in the mess in being in a conversation that's uncomfortable. And that is everything I believe is where our power is right now, is where we are as a society, is where we are in the world, is if we could actually be in the mess instead of trying to get it right or trying to um, prove or, or shift things from one lens, but that if we could actually be in the middle and, and have the mess be uncomfortable, that creates belonging. The fact that I can show up to a room and, and talk about my experience and have a lot of different people resonate with it from lots of different backgrounds is, is super exciting to me because that's what we can actually create more of. And you think keeping things messy, I like that, um, or keeping it in the middle, is that how we can retain or keep uh, culture thriving in some ways? Yeah. I talk about this a lot with companies that I go into, you know, we look at right now, everybody's talking about how do I keep my people? You know, we just went through the great resignation. People are looking at retention and legacy and commitment again for, for companies and their, and their culture. And so one of the first things we talk about is, well, what kind of a culture do you want to have? <laughs> like, let's actually dream about it for a second instead of what you think the right culture should be. And, um, I think the place to start with all of this is getting into those uncomfortable conversations, which is exactly where we start. What's working well, what's not going well, what are you afraid of? What, what are the things that, uh, you think would, would change somebody wanting to be here for the next 20 years? Not that that's how we live anymore as society. I think people like to move around and experience different things. But what, what would you create that have people want to be invested with you and you invested in them? Yeah, that's pretty powerful stuff there. Um, what, just diving deeper because I'm all about definitions. What does culture mean to you? Culture means anything that you can create that's intentional. That, you know, that you have chosen as a community, a collective, a team that you are, are intentionally setting a platform for. So I think some people think culture means, you know, um, we've got to get it right. I keep coming back to, we've got to get it right. Cause when I think about when people talk about equity and inclusion and diversity, it's like, everyone's okay. And everyone belongs and everyone's here. And yes, we do want a culture of belonging. That's part of my definition is belonging, but belonging comes from connection and vulnerability right? It doesn't come from getting it right. And so that's my definition of it. But um, I think, I think that's the place that I like to start with everybody is what kind of culture do you want to create? Cause there's not one, one version. Yeah. And it's so much, we live in a society today. I love how you bring this up. Like we don't, you know, getting it right kind of a thing. You don't have to, because there's so many times now, especially in this day and age and in information era. And I went through this through the chiropractic side of, how do you should do things and what you should do. And this is the right way of doing it. And this is all these parameters. And, and, and uh, after hitting a wall after five, six years, getting to where I wanted to get to, but then I'm like, this is not, this is, wasn't it. And I redefined everything with my business, my purpose and all that. I guess redefine my culture and how I want to run my practice and what it really meant to me. Yeah. And um, 
then made a huge, huge shift in that perspective to live a more fulfilled life because it was all in alignment with stuff. And I think, and again, I went against the grain what I was being told what to do. And I think there's sometimes in life we have to do that in some way, shape or form because you always have somebody, I would say barking, that's just probably a little aggressive, but it's just, you know, someone's always trying to tell you or something along those lines to be like, hey, you know, you should be doing it this way. This is the right way to do it. It's like, well, what do you want? What do you want to do? How do you want to experience that? Yeah. Yeah. How do you want to lead it? Because that goes back to leadership, right? If you choose, you get to grow it (laughs) and and grow other people with you. Why do you think some people or or leaders or people who are leaders in a certain aspect, maybe that's so much there, but um, don't step into those those, or realize they're true leaders or really tap into that power? Look, I think everything in our world can be boiled down to fear and love. Right. So I think leaders are the, the ones that are not fully realized or who have stopped, stopped growing, um, are afraid. And it's just getting really clear about what are you afraid of? You know, cause there's all these fears that are out there and, um, it's not to erase the fear. Cause I also think that's a fallacy. People think that like, well, if I just get over my fears or if I tend to my fears, then I'll be able to move. No, it's a relationship with fear. Um, I use this analogy a lot in my, in my practice where, you know, let's, let's pretend that you're in a car with fear and most people, most leaders have spent a lot of their life with fear in the driver's seat and they are in the passenger seat, right? So they know where they want to go and they're like kind of given directions to fear, but fear really is making the choices from like scarcity or time or, you know, money or whatever the thing is that fear is like, well, we've got to watch out for this thing. And all I invite people to do is simply switch places with fear, like put fear in the passenger seat. We're not saying fear, get out of the car. I never want to see you again, or I'm dropping you off on this exit. We're saying you're allowed to be here because there's a reason you're here. You keep me safe. I need you. I need you to have like my back. (laughs) I need you to like spot what's coming up on the road, but you never get to drive again. You actually never get to be in the driver's seat. You can be here, but you're not driving. And I, and that's what I mean by fear is that when leaders can actually look at them and, and get very clear about what they are, they can choose who they want to be about them. I love how you bring up the, you know, cause a lot of times people will say, you know, fear is a great, a great motivator. And I'm always like, no, you don't want, I mean, it's good. Don't get me wrong. It, it gets you moving in, in a certain direction, but I'm always like, that's not something you want to hone in. I love how you brought that up because it's, it's, it's then, you know, you're, you're, never, you're always doing something from a reactive instead of an empowering state. And how much we, I love to ask you this question. What do you think? Is it more people are, have fear of success or they have fear of, fear of failure? Honestly, I see people have more fear of success. I don't think people are so afraid of failing. I, I see more courageous people every day who, who I encounter. So it's not like they're not willing to try. It's they're actually deeply afraid of how powerful they might be. And, that, and why are we so, I always say we're, we're I tell people sometimes with my clients, but you're afraid of your light. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm afraid of my light. I'm like, you're afraid of the essence of who you are. Ah, that makes no sense to me. Well, your soul, your I can go sound so many labels, which one you want me to pick. I was like, at the end of the day, you're afraid of what you actually dictating your life is because you've been conditioned. Right. I think that's where, and I love to pick your brain on that. What do you, why do you think we have such a fear of success? Well, I mean, look, we could break down all of the, the different ways that we're taught. You know, we could look at, we could look at race, we could look at, you know, inequality in our, in our country and all the reasons that it has been set up and why. And I think 
each person has been taught to fear that for a different reason, but all of it is for methods of control or, um, another way of saying it is, you know, I'll use my own background, you know, where I grew up being humble was important, right? Humility and, and humbleness is extremely important, especially in the Southwest, you know, I, being nice was better than being kind. And I, and I say that very clearly because being kind in my book is, is being clear, being blunt, being honest, being authentic, being nice was smoothing over, pretending, not being authentic, you know? And so, so there are social norms that I learned to fit in and belong. Otherwise I didn't belong, right? I was an outlier. And so, um, even now it's very hard for me to still own my success because to me, the old limiting beliefs in my head or gremlins, if you want to call them that are, um, you're not humble. If you own your success, you might get too big of a head if you own your success, and then you might lose everything you have if you own your success. Right. So there's just all these stories that are compounded that I think, um, every human has, and the work for us to do as humans is to release those stories so that you can experience your light. Just as you said, your own power, your own experience here on earth, you are the only thing in your way. So that's, that's really what we work on. I love how you bring that up. And it's one thing too, that I had a conversation with someone earlier about this too. Um, like it was more about like the fear of having too much money or having a lot of money. And I was like, well, you got to blame religion for that, you know, because if you look at it, you know, a lot of times you think, or at least in the, my background is also in energy medicine. And I, when I work with a lot mm -hmm. of spiritual people, and I say spiritual, I just mean uh, like energy healing or things along that nature. And they'll be always like, you know, they, they have a scarcity mindset and all this stuff. I'm like, where did you get that program? Because if you are, you understand universal laws, you understand how the, the universe kind of works and the way it does, but why are you not manifesting it? Well, I don't you know. I got to do this is this and that. I'm like, there is a program and where's this scarcity kind of thing coming from? And it's, and sometimes I was talking to someone who, uh, we we're talking about uh, Catholicism and so forth. That's where my background is in. Um, I'm Italian Roman Catholic. Can't get away from it. Once you're baptized, <laughs> that's it. You can't, you can't, uh, they're like, you can't get away yeah. with that. I'm like, who says that? They're like, you can't, you're baptized in. I'm like, what if I chose to go to another, another religion? You're still originally a Roman cat. I'm like, man, you guys really have a control on things. Let me tell you. It's in there. Let me tell you. Thanks, uh, by the way. Man, I know, you can't get away. <laughs> Uh, mm -hmm. but any long story short, it's one of those things where we were talking about that. It's like the same concept. Like, well, if you have too much money, you know, this is that there's all this, this negative aspect to it. So, so, I mean, just from my conversations, I think sometimes that may also, uh, you know, or not, you know, there's other things too. It's not just straight black and white, but, um, right. I think there's another attribute to add into the combo on that. Cause it's something that I've, I've seen or I've had through just talking with people. Yeah. And, and look, every, again, I want to stress you're normal. Everybody out there has them, <laughs> right? Like we're all, we all make up stories when we're kids for whatever reason. And our whole work to do is to let them go because they no longer serve us as adults. And that's, that's the simple way of saying it. I love it. So growing up in the Southwest, you're right by Texas is Tex-Mex. Is that, is that over there? That is over there. It was not a thing because New Mexico is very clear that New Mexican cuisine and chili are very specific to New Mexico. So is, we are a no to Texas. I was going to say, isn't, isn't New Mexico like the chili capital or something like that? Yes. Hatch, right? hatch chili. I still, I still have my parents send it to me <laughs> <laughs> to this day. I literally just heard that. Like, I think it was like a couple of days ago. Somebody was saying like, yeah, chili, you know, New Mexico is the top, whatever. And I was like, cool. Now here I am talking to you. I was like, I got to bring That's that up. Right. 
Um, very cool. Yeah. And, and, and looking at, so I'm trying to think here. So what are some of the challenges now? Cause you're talking about, we were talking about companies a little bit in creation and so forth. And some of yeah. the challenges are facing, you know, COVID hit two years later, here's where we are. Um, are there some, uh, what are some of the challenges that you're, you're kind of seeing in that perspective with maybe with culture, maybe retaining culture, maybe leadership. Um, what are you, what, what are you noticing? Yeah, some of the top challenges have been uh, leaders wanting to go back to the way west. I think we're getting out of that, you know, because we're like two plus years in now to the pandemic. So I think we're finally getting away from people realizing that we're not going back. It's not happening. Um, and we're, we're in a new place now. But there's still a little bit of nostalgia. So I would say nostalgia is the number one thing that is you know, tinting some of these conversations, which is, well, the old model worked X, Y, Z. And what do I mean by that? Like control or being able to like be in the office with your people and make sure they're working or, um, you know, really having a sense of this is the way it works. And all leaders have had to completely throw that playbook out. Um, and so what we're seeing is that really what leaders are having to focus on are soft skills again, like, are you empathic? Are you, um, do you bring kindness? How are you listening to your people? Are you listening to respond or are you listening to really understand and meet them where they are? And then flexibility. You know, I think leaders are, were scared for a long time, the past two years that if I, if I let them do whatever they want, you know, like work from home or have, you know, sign off to go take their kid to a doctor, you know, they, there was this sense of losing control. And so a lot of what I've been working on with people is around, um, great. What if there is no control, then what, then you actually have to build relationship with people, right. And partnership with your people, um, which is a whole different way of leading companies in, in this new, this new place. So that's, that's the number one thing we talk about first is, are you releasing control? And do you, do you have a way that you're actually connecting with your people? I think the second thing people are dealing with that has been really big is they're noticing their people don't have support. So old um, standard, like this is what we do benefits for our people um, also went out the window because number one, they saw that people didn't use them and weren't even aware that they existed, but they also started to see that humans are very individual in their needs. So what you need and what I need are very different. And so having a one standardized approach does not work to create culture. So leaders are really uh, spending a lot of time tending to people on an individual basis, which in the long run for ROI and culture creates inclusion and belonging when people feel heard and seen. So uh, ways that they're doing that is they're bringing in coaching companies, they're hiring mentors, they're working with mental health companies and partnering so that people have access to mental health resources. Um, they are doing hybrid models, but they're really having a lot of flexibility within the hybrid model for, again, what does a person need? So that's a lot of, a lot of the stops that have been happening the last couple of years. And I'm happy and hopeful that people are moving into, uh, approach where they're really starting to slow down and rebuild trust with their people. I love how you bring that up. I think it's it's very critical that, you know, those who are adapting and making these changes and so forth is um, huge. I mean, it's, I, I remember talking with uh, patients of mine and they'd be like, well, they're working from home and they're like, I get more done in like four hours. I don't need to be eight hours. I can do it in four. I can do it in five. 
And um, <clears throat> I was like, what do you think is going to happen when, you know, things get to a certain point again? And mm -hmm. it was interesting. Some companies were uh, going to hybrid where it's like, hey, you come in a couple of days a week and then three days a week there. And I think what COVID really taught a lot of us, I was saying this right in the beginning of it all, is like we're going into a world of uncertainty and humans mm -hmm. don't like that. So mm -hmm. what do we, because we're control freaks. We want to control everything and keep our comfort for the majority of people. Yeah. And so I was like, you know, here we go. And then when you were saying how leaders had to do, you know, go, you know, the control thing, I'm like, yeah, it's uncertainty. It's, 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 there it is on a whole different level. I didn't even think of to where yeah. it's like, that's what we were facing. And we had to learn how to trust, let go and um, just get into the, the more of a rhythm of what's going to show up rather than I have my life controlled. Yeah. And that's scary. Just like you said, everybody was rocked, but what a magnificent time that everybody in the world had to actually do something different. And, you know, the, what people came into my, my, my sphere, you know, when COVID first started happening, I said, welcome to having to face the demon or, I, I mean, demon is a little bit, you know, aggressive, but you know, whatever the thing is that you've been avoiding that you haven't taken a look at, it's here. It's now it's in front of you. And it was so interesting to watch person after person come in and have to like, look at the thing that they'd been controlling the living crap out of you know, in their life. And um, that to me has been one of the biggest gifts of COVID is looking at that thing that you'd been avoiding. It's so true. And you could, I mean, you were, you, you were like, I would, I remember when, I remember when the lockdowns were starting to come and I was like, all right, here we go. We're going to see a lot more arguments, a lot more stress. I mean, from one thing, from a, from my Cairo side with working with kids with autism and ADHD and stuff, I was telling moms, like, you're going to go through a lot now. We need to support you, you more. And I say moms, cause like 99% were moms, yeah. um, yeah. to support. But then there was the other side where in certain conversations with patients, I'd be like, all right, here we go. You're going to have now. You know, things are going to come up, more arguments are going to happen. You're going to have to really start to, the things you were able to can get away from, like, because there was no sports, right? And I always use sports as like, I love sports. Don't get me wrong, I played sports all my life. I love to enjoy watching um, excellence go against excellence. It's just seeing two teams or individuals that I look at. And I'm just like, you know, like Tom Brady, I'm a huge fan of Tom Brady. Look what he's yeah. done in his career. Yeah. And people are like, what? You're not even from New England when he was with the Patriots. I'm like, I don't care. He's excellent. I can give, I really care what team wins. I just care about, look at this guy. Look what he does. Look how he's a master at what he does. I want to study him, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> and it comes from that, that whole, uh, I'm losing my seat. Tom Brady will take all the, all my thoughts away there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I get it. It's exciting. I kind of feel that way about like LeBron. I think about LeBron and I'm like, man, I just want to study every leadership trait that that man has. <laughs> I just, I favor a little more MJ, but I hear you. On yeah, I get I, it. I get it. You know what I'm saying? I like, no, we're wrong. I always joke. I always say like, I say when LeBron, LeBron, you know, about 10 years ago, I was always like, he's bigger, he's faster, he's stronger. I was like, Jordan doesn't, didn't have that as much as he has. Now look what Jordan did. But anyhow, I don't get into those. Everyone's like, yeah, but LeBron's awesome. And look what he does in basketball. Look what he does is all those kind of things. But finding those individuals, but people couldn't use that with COVID because now sports is gone. So now I'm like, you lost your distraction. Well, I'm going to look at that. You have, there's nothing there. What can you, what do you, you're going to have to face it. And, uh, some did and some, the ones who didn't, well, they, they had a harder path with this than those who did. Um, you know, they, I seen more people awake or even with some of my clients go through stuff. And it was like, look at where you are now, a year or two years later, right? Now we're through all this. Look, look at, look at how much you've evolved. And like, that was awesome. As I remember, because I always told people when this was happening, when anytime there's for some odd reason, when anytime there is 
massive stress that we're going to go through another a time of change. Mm-hmm. There's energy you can tap into and radically change your life, or you can radically let it destroy you. But you have a choice. And a lot of times, this is like a nice little quantum leap of what we can experience when it comes in our life. Yeah. And it's all about that comfort zone. Like you said earlier, going out of your comfort zone is where growth happens. So if you're not going outside of your comfort zone, you've stopped growing. Amen to that. Elena, how can people find you, hear about what you're up to and all the great stuff that you do? Yeah, you can find me at the c-suitecollective.com. That's the company that we talked about earlier. Uh, You can find me at elenaarmijo.com. You can find me at my podcast, In a Manner of Speaking. So all those places, you know, you can reach out and find me anyway. For all the listeners, I will have that in the show notes. Um, Elena, this was great. Love the discussion we had. We got to know what you're doing, what you're up to, and um, leadership, culture, and all those great things. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us, so you don't miss another amazing episode. And until next time, keep rocking and rolling. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing it with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. And until next time, keep rocking and rolling.